stories bigger than Texas, the Alamo podcast. Before the Battle of the Alamo, there was the Battle of Bear, street fighting in and around the Alamo that ended in a Texas victory. Today, we reveal what brought the front lines of Texas Revolution to San Antonio, the surprise attack at the Alamo that ended in victory for the Texans, and how what happened after that victory helped seal the fates of the Alamo defenders. I'm your host, Emily Balkum. We are once again joined by Ernesto Rodriguez, the Alamo senior curator, historian, and lecturer. Ernesto, always a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you for having me again, Emily. The Battle of Bear took place in December 1835, 188 years ago this month. Your predecessor at the Alamo, Dr. Bruce Winders, describes that month in Texas history with a famous Charles Dickens quote, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. What does Dr. Winders mean by that? So the way I interpret that is December is a really interesting time in San Antonio and Texas in general. And right now, the, at this point, the Texans are excited because they've had several victories and uh, are on that high. But at the same time, winter's starting to set in, and they're starting to plan whether or not to retreat, to go to winter quarters. And as December progresses, this high will start meeting some lows in the form of losing one of their commanders in battle. And having a lot of hardships start to happen with the preparations of having to go and prepare to attack Matamoros. It goes from a really great feeling with the defeat of the Mexican army at Gonzales, the defeat of the Mexican army at Concepcion, the victory at the grass fight, and then later the victory at the Battle Bear. But then the truth of the matter starts setting in. The Mexican army is coming. They know it's coming. They don't know how many are coming, and they have to prepare for that. Good preview for what's to come. Let's really break this down. At the beginning of December, the Texans are gathering volunteers. But as you mentioned, they're considering going to a different place in the winter, possibly Goliad. Why Goliad versus San Antonio? Goliad is a lo it's located to the east, and it also provides um, an actual fortification. It's surrounded by uh, walls. And it's also a place where they can gather away from everything else. And so it's a, a perfect location because you're coast, close to the coast, you can get supplies in, and you're close to the other settlements that are to the east. San Antonio, while it's a great place, but you're in the middle of a town, and the Mexican army is here. And that's one of the biggest problems. You can't really have a safe quarter when the army that you are opposing is right across the river from you. And they are at the Alamo. General Coast is fortifying it. How so? The Mexican army is fortifying by building the what is what we now know as the palisade. They're building the lunette out front. They're building up the walls that have uh, been damaged from other, other events. And so they're moving artillery pieces onto the walls. So they're actually preparing for any type of combat that may ensue. And the cannons are mounting. A lot of them are coming as a result of the decree of March 31st, 1835, the Militia Reduction Act, in which it asked for our artillery pieces to be moved to a central location, and the Alamo is a central location. So they're actually mounting some of the artillery pieces and prepping for the oncoming war. But then something unexpected happens. A Mexican officer surrenders with news of declining Mexican morale. Yes, he arrives in camp, and uh, his arrival and his description of what's occurring 
starts to turn the tide slightly. Now, the problem is these men that are in the Texan army have already voted and overruled Burleson, who's in charge of them, to move to winter quarters. But this new news prompts others to act. The one that will act is a gentleman by the name of Benjamin Rush Milo. Just before dawn on December 5th, 1835, a surprise attack at the Alamo. Yes. As they're prepping for the assault of Bear, one of the things you have to do is draw troops, a movement from town to another location to allow your men to start prepping and moving forward. James Clinton Neal, who will later become the commander of the Alamo, is in charge of artillery. And they start firing upon the Alamo Church, the Alamo Mission, the Alamo Grounds, the entire complex, in order to draw attention towards a different place. As Benjamin Rush Milam and others begin their assault of what is now downtown San Antonio. What's the footprint of the Battle of Bear? How much of modern-day downtown San Antonio is involved? It's basically the main fighting happens within one city block. And I mean, it's just it's one street that has the majority of the conflict on both sides, and it is right next to Main Plaza. Mexican Army had artillery pieces not only in the plaza, but they had artillery at, at most of the major streets aimed straight down the street. So right next to San Fernando Cathedral. Right next to San Fernando, right off of Soledad Street, that's where the battle happens. Dr. Winters describes it as street fighting. Yes, it is. It is street fighting, and it's also house through house fighting. At one point, they're breaking walls to get to the next house to try to advance because they're being constantly attacked, not only by artillery, but by Mexican soldiers that are housed inside of these buildings. So it is a harsh battle. The fighting continues, and on December 7, 1835, Benjamin Milam is killed. Yes, Benjamin Milam, who was leading the first column, stepped out into a courtyard at the Veramendi house, and he is shot in the head, and he dies. That act it puts a lot of the men, they start uh, grieving for the loss of their officer, and they actually bury him with a Masonic ceremony there at the Veramendi house. He will later be moved, but it forces the Texans to now have a new commander, and the one that steps up is a gentleman named Francis White Johnson, and he will lead the forces of column of the first column, and um, they continue fighting. But that is a, it is a tragic story because the man that had gathered the troops to actually do the assault is lost on, on the 7th, the second day of the battle. And it's a, it's a sad moment. They even have a, a talk about Milam in which it says he will always be remembered in the annals of history. So, you're, you know, they're already making him a martyr of the Texas Revolution. And he certainly is remembered in San Antonio with Milam Park on the western end of downtown. Yes, he is. He really is. And if you ever get the opportunity to go to Milam Park, you'll see that there's a statue of him with a rifle. And then right next to that, there's actually the site where his remains are. What ground is gained and lost in the Battle of Bear? So at the Battle of Bear, what we gain is at the end of the battle, we gain not only the town of San Antonio, but we also gained the Alamo, and that will be the first time the Texan forces will occupy the Alamo. And that's a really big deal because of the centralization of weapons. Yes, it is. And so one of the things that um, is described in uh, Texas and Texans is the lack of military munitions that a lot of these men have. They're fighting with regular rifles and pistols, and the capture 
of San Antonio and the Alamo itself affords them military weaponry that is not available to them. Some did come in from New Orleans and places like that, but that capture of the Alamo is is a godsend early on. On December 10th, five days after the Battle of Bear begins, General Coast asks for surrender terms. What are those terms? The terms are basically that he capitulates and he promises to not return to fight against those that defend the Constitution of 1824. He's allowed to march south. It's a really interesting treaty because while they're still here, no hostilities are going to commence between both sides and they're not to be walking around each other armed. They also tell the, the Mexican army that when they read withdrawals, that doctors can stay behind to care for the wounded. So it's a very interesting treaty. It also allows them to go home armed for their protection. The soldiers are given 10, 10 cartridges each to protect themselves because it is still harsh territory and they're allowed to take a cannon with them. And so you think about it, this army is allowed to basically march away and protect themselves against hostile attacks. On with the way weapons south. and with health care. Well, yeah, they have, yeah, they're really ready to go. But it's, um, it's an interesting treaty because of the fact that it's a very civil treaty where they treat each other as people and not as opposing forces. It's a very good point. And the house where the terms were signed still stands. Where is it today, and what does it look like now? The house where this happened is located at La Vita. It is right off the main path to both the Arneson and to the actually actual interior of the little the little village. It's used for events. It's a stone structure that is used for events. It's empty most of the year. And so you can walk by and there's a little marker outside that says this is the site where the capitulation happened on December 10th, 1835. And uh, it has a Mexican eagle on it. So much history still preserved in San Antonio. The death toll from the Battle of Bear is about 30 to 35 Texans and about 150 Mexicans. What made all the difference there? The big difference is the fact that uh, rifle fire, but also the way that they're fighting, the house to house, house through house. When the Texans are able to get a foothold, they actually are able to capture artillery. They're also firing grape shot, not only through town, but at the Mexican army inside the Alamo. But it is basically, it's the hand-to-hand combat part that's, that does it. But there's a really sad story because when this is occurring, they're fighting, they climb onto the roofs of the houses because most of these houses were flat roofed with a parapet. Well, they think the parapets are actually higher than they really are, and they're on the roof, and they're shot upon, and many of these guys are wounded, and as they're wounded, they're laying down, and they start digging through the roof to get out of the gunfire. To safety. To safety, but it's one of those, it's um, it's just a firearms, and the use of them is a lot better. Also, powder makes a difference. Texan powder is coming from the United States, and it's a higher quality than the Mexican powder is, and so there's there's that. But it's, uh, it's also the, the fact that one side wants it more than the other. And moving forward from the Battle of Bear, on December 12th, 1835, the Alabama Red Rovers start making their way to Texas. What's their story? So that's a group that was uh, started be- uh, through basically Fannin, who is uh, one of the guys that is here at the Battle of Concepcion. He will later lead the troops at, at Goliad. 
but um, they start marching. And one of the interesting things about them is that it's sometimes considered to be the first time that troops are moved in the United States on a train-type method. They arrive in New Orleans, and then from New Orleans, they, they come on ship, and they get here. They're called the Red Rovers mainly because they're wearing red and their clothing. And it's funny because it's a, it's a family effort and a, and a community effort to get them dressed and so people or families are sewing pants, they're sewing shirts, they're sewing everything. They have two uniforms, a dress uniform and, and your regular uniform. But it's one of those, it's a group of people, like many, that come to the aid of Texas. They just happen to be a group of about 70 or so when they start. And will mainly perish it in March of 1836. Then on December 20th, 1835, the Goliad Declaration of Independence is ratified. Why is this declaration so key? This one is key because this declaration that's ratified in Goliad is then sent to the provisional government. And when they get it, they basically uh, put it away because they're still trying to figure out what role the revolution is going to take. Is it going to be an independence movement or is it going to be just keeping the status quo? But that declaration, what it ends up doing, it splits the Mexican Federalist and the Texans, which means that we are no longer going to really get the support from Coahuila, and we're going to be on our own. And as things are getting figured out, like you said, December 30th, 1835, the Tornell Decree is issued. What does this decree say, and how does it lay the groundwork for what's next? So the Tornell Decree comes from Jose Maria Tornell, who is the Minister of War, he basically states all foreigners in Mexican territory that are armed and fighting against the Mexican government or raising arms against the government should be treated as pirates. Those that are not foreigners that are Mexicans should be treated as traitors. And how do you treat them? You execute. Now, what's interesting is this is Tornell. He is a government official. That decree will go throughout Mexico. It's not just geared towards us, it's geared towards other places too because there's the, um, there's the belief that the United States is going to try to send troops into other parts of Mexico. And so the, the decree is very important because it'll set the stage for executions in the future. And that's one of those things that most of us don't really think about. Most people blame Santa Ana for executions, but no, it's the it's government itself that's sending the orders. In the meantime, the Alamo is now in the Texans' hands. We know what's coming in the next few months. They obviously do not. What do they spend that time doing? They spent a lot of that time trying to figure out what's next. And so early on, uh, you know, people start planning an invasion of Matamoros that had been started earlier. You know, there was these talks of doing that. And they finally start gearing up after the Battle of Bear. And so they start planning for that as people that are staying behind start planning for the return of the Mexican army. And so there's two things occurring. Both of them will compete with the other. And the problem is that that expedition that's about to start to Matamoros will take some valuable resources out of the Alamo. Sam Houston wants to evacuate Bear and establish a training camp at Gonzales. James Neal wants to defend the town Frank Johnson, who is commanding the volunteers, wants to take the war deeper into Mexico. So lots of competing thoughts on the path forward. Yes. And the thing is that, uh, you know, Neil, why does he want to stay? 
Well, San Antonio sits on the major roads that come into Texas. You control the roads, you control the movement of troops and supplies. Sam Houston wants a better place because if you go a little further north or east, you're going to be able to have a place where you can train without the fear of the army appearing. Now, Johnson and Grant that have the Matamoros expedition in mind, well, there's many issues that they're looking at. And one of them is personal. They have property down near Matamoros. And so they're looking to expand. Also, how do you pay for a revolution? Matamoros is a key point because of the fact that it's a port that brings money in. So there's also that thought of we can pay for it by raiding the port. Lots of things at play. Johnson does decide to launch a campaign against the town of Matamoros, and unknowingly, this decision sets the stage for the decisive loss at the Battle of the Alamo. Yes, it does, because one, he takes troops. It diminishes the number of men that are here. Two, he takes supplies. That also hurts the Alamo. He also is, uh, if you look at what's happening in Mexico as the Mexican army is marching north, he causes the Mexican army to split earlier than they're planning to. And um, Urea is then sent across the northern portion of Mexico to go and meet up at Matamoros and then start the campaign on the east. Chances are the original plan would have probably been come to San Antonio, then split up. Instead, now the the two-pronged salt is going to start earlier than intended. Ernesto Rodriguez, thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to check out the podcast notes. We've linked to an essay about the Battle of Bear written by former Alamo senior curator Dr. Bruce Winders. Also keep a close eye on the Alamo social media pages where we're posting historic paintings and photos that bring the events of December 1835 to life. Just search Official Alamo on your favorite social platform. You've been listening to Stories Bigger Than Texas, the Alamo podcast.